Chapter Twenty One of Smith, Journalist, by P. G. Wodehouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Psuche Berea. Chapter Twenty One, The Battle of Pleasant Street. The new arrival was a young man with a shock of red hair, an ingrowing Roman nose, and a mouth from which force, or the passage of time, had removed three front teeth. He held on to the edges of the trap with his hands, and stared in a glassy manner into Smith's face, which was within a foot of his own. There was a momentary pause, broken by an oath from Mr. Gooch, who was still undergoing treatment in the background. "'Aha!' said Smith genially. "'Historic picture. Dr. Cook discovers the North Pole.' The red-headed young man blinked. The strong light of the open air was trying to his eyes. "'Yous'd better come down,' he observed coldly. "'We've got yous.' "'And,' continued Smith, unmoved, "'is instantly handed a gumdrop by his faithful Eskimo.' As he spoke, he brought the stick down on the knuckles which had disfigured the edges of the trap. The intruder uttered a howl and dropped out of sight. In the room below there were whisperings and mutterings, growing gradually louder till something resembling coherent conversation came to Smith's ears as he knelt by the trap making meditative billiard shots with the stick at a small pebble. "'Ah, Gwan, don't be a quitter!' "'Who's a quitter?' "'Yous is a quitter. Get on top of the roof. He can't wait yous.' "'The guy's gotten a big stick!' Smith nodded appreciatively. "'I and Roosevelt,' he murmured. A somewhat baffled silence on the part of the attacking force was followed by further conversation. "'Come! Some guy's got to go up!' murmurs of assent from the audience. A voice in inspired tones. "'Let Sam do it!' This suggestion made a hit. There was no doubt about that. It was a success from the start. Quite a little chorus of voices expressed sincere approval of the very happy solution to what had seemed an insoluble problem. Smith, listening from above, failed to detect in the choir of glad voices one that might belong to Sam himself. Probably gratification had rendered the chosen one dumb. "'Yeah, let's see him do it!' cried the unseen chorus. The first speaker, unnecessarily perhaps, for the motion had been carried almost unanimously, but possibly with the idea of convincing the one member of the party in whose bosom doubts might conceivably be harbored, went on to adduce reasons." Sam being a coon, he argued, ain't going to be hoit by no stick. Yous can't hoit a coon by soaking him on the cocoa, can you, Sam? Smith waited with some interest for the reply, but it did not come. Possibly Sam did not wish to generalize on insufficient experience. Salvatore Ambulando, said Smith softly, turning the stick round in his fingers. Comrade Windsor? Hello? Is it possible to hurt a colored gentleman by hitting him on the head with a stick? "'If you hit him hard enough.' "'I knew there was some way out of the difficulty,' said Smith, with satisfaction. "'How are you getting on up at your end of the table, Comrade Windsor?' "'Fine.' "'Any result yet?' "'Not at present.' "'Don't give up.' "'Not me.' "'The right spirit, Comrade Win—' A report, like a cannon in the room below, interrupted him. It was merely a revolver shot, but in the confined space it was deafening, the bullets sang up into the sky.' "'Never hit me,' said Smith, with dignified triumph. The noise was succeeded by a shuffling of feet. Smith grasped his stick more firmly. This was evidently the real attack. 
the revolver shot had been a mere demonstration of artillery to cover the infantry's advance. Sure enough, the next moment a woolly head popped through the opening, and a pair of rolling eyes gleamed up at the old Etonian. "'Why, Sam,' said Smith cordially, "'this is well met. I remember you. Yes, indeed I do. Wasn't you the feller with the open umbrella that I met one rainy morning on the avenue?' "'What? Are you coming up? Sam, I hate to do it, but—' A yell rang out. "'What was that?' asked Billy Windsor over his shoulder. "'Your statement, Comrade Windsor, has been tested and proved correct.' By this time the affair had begun to draw a gate. The noise of the revolver had proved a fine advertisement. The roof of the house next door began to fill up. Only a few of the occupants could get a clear view of the proceedings, for a large chimney-stack intervened. There was considerable speculation as to what was passing between Billy Windsor and Mr. Gooch. Smith's share in the entertainment was more obvious. The early comers had seen his interview with Sam and were relating it with gusto to their friends. Their attitude toward Smith was that of a group of men watching a terrier at a rat-hole. They looked to him to provide entertainment for them, but they realized that the first move must be with the attackers. They were fair-minded men, and they did not expect Smith to make any aggressive move. Their indignation, when the proceedings began to grow slow, was directed entirely at the dilatory three-pointers. With an aggrieved air, akin to that of a crowd at a cricket match when the batsmen are playing for a draw, they began to barrack. They hooted the three-pointers. They begged them to go home and tuck themselves up into bed. The men on the roof were mostly Irishmen, and it offended them to see what should have been a spirited fight so grossly bungled. "'Go on away home, you quitters!' roared one. "'Call yourselves the three-pointers, do ye? And you know what I would call ye? The young ladies' seminary!' bellowed another, with withering scorn. A third member of the audience alluded to them as stiffs. "'I fear, Comrade Windsor,' said Smith, "'that our blithe friends below are beginning to grow a little unpopular with the many-headed. They must be up and doing if they wish to retain the esteem of Pleasant Street.' "'Aha!' Another and longer explosion from below, and more bullets wasted themselves on air. Smith sighed. "'They make me tired,' he said. "'This is no time for a fou de joie.' Action! That is the cry. Action! Get busy, you blighters! The Irish neighbors expressed the same sentiment in different and more forcible words. There was no doubt about it. As warriors, the three-pointers had failed to give satisfaction. A voice from the room called up to Smith. Say! You have our ear, said Smith. What's that? I said you had our ear. Are you stiffs coming down off of that roof? Oh, would you mind repeating that remark? Are you guys going to quit off of that roof? Your grammar is perfectly beastly, said Smith, severely. Hey! Well? Are you guys... No, my lad, said Smith. Since you ask, we are not. And why? Because the air up here is refreshing, the view pleasant, and we are expecting at any moment an important communication from Comrade Gooch. We're going to wait down here till you come down. "'If you wish it,' said Smith courteously, "'by all means do. "'Who am I that I should dictate your movements? "'The most I aspire to is to check them "'when they take an upward direction.' "'There was silence below. "'The time began to pass slowly. "'The Irishman on the other roof, "'now definitely abandoning hope of further entertainment, "'proceeded with hoots of scorn "'to climb down one by one "'into the recesses of their own house. "'Suddenly from the street far below "'there came a fusillade of shots "'and a babble of shouts and countershouts.' 
The roof of the house next door, which had been emptying itself slowly and reluctantly, filled again with a magical swiftness, and the low wall facing into the street became black with the backs of those craning over. "'What's that?' inquired Billy. "'I rather fancy,' said Smith, "'that our allies of the Table Hill contingent must have arrived. I sent Comrade Maloney to explain matters to do, Dawson, and it seems as if that golden-hearted sportsman had responded. There appear to be great doings in the street.' In the room below, confusion had arisen. A scout, clattering upstairs, had brought the news of the Tables Hill to Advent, and there was doubt as to the proper course to pursue. Certain voices urged going down to help the main body. Others pointed out that that would mean abandoning the siege of the roof. The scout who had brought the news was eloquent in favor of the first course. "'Come,' he cried. "'Don't I keep telling you that the Table Hills is here? Sure, there's a whole bunch of them, and unless you's come down, they'll bite the whole head of us lot.' Lead those stiffs on the roof. Let Sam wait here with his canister, and then they can't get down, cause Sam'll pump em full of lead while they're beating it true to the trap door. Sure. Smith nodded reflectively. There is a certain something in what the bright boy says, he murmured. It seems to me the grand rescue scene in the third act has sprung a leak. This will want thinking over. In the street the disturbance had now become terrific. Both sides were hard at it, and the Irishman on the roof rewarded at last for their long vigil, were yelling encouragement promiscuously and whooping with the unfettered ecstasy of men who were getting the treat of their lives without having paid a penny for it. The behavior of the New York policemen in affairs of this kind is based on principles of the soundest practical wisdom. The unthinking man would rush in and attempt to crush the combat in its earliest and fiercest stages. The New York policeman, knowing the importance of his own safety— and the insignificance of the gangsman's, permits the opposing forces to hammer each other into a certain distaste for battle, and then, when both sides have begun to have enough of it, rushes in himself and clubs everything in sight. It is an admirable process in its results, but it is sure, rather than swift. Proceedings in the affair below had not yet reached the police interference stage. The noise, what with the shouts and yells from the street and the ear-piercing approval of the roof audience, was just working up to a climax. Smith rose. He was tired of kneeling by the trap, and there was no likelihood of Sam making another attempt to climb through. He walked towards Billy. As he did so, Billy got up and turned to him. His eyes were gleaming with excitement. His whole attitude was triumphant. In his hand he waved a strip of paper. "'I've got it!' he cried. "'Excellent, Comrade Windsor,' said Smith. "'Surely me must win through now.' All we have to do is get off of this roof, and fate cannot touch us. Are two mammoth minds such as ours unequal to such a feat? It can hardly be. Let us ponder. Why not go down through the trap? They've all gone to the street. Smith shook his head. All, he replied, save Sam. Sam was the subject of my late successful experiment, when I proved that colored gentlemen's heads could be hurt with a stick. He is now waiting below, armed with a pistol, ready— even anxious, to pick us off as we climb through the trap. How would it be to drop Comrade Gooch through first, and so draw his fire? Comrade Gooch, I am sure, would be delighted to do a little thing like that for old friends of our standing, or— But what's that? What's the matter? Is that a ladder I see before me, its handle to my hand? It is! Comrade Windsor we win through. Cozy Moments editorial staff may be treed, but it cannot be put out of business. Comrade Windsor, take the other end of that ladder and follow me. The ladder was lying against the further wall. It was long, more than long enough for the purpose for which it was needed. Smith and Billy rested it on the coping and pushed it till the other end reached across the gulf to the roof of the house next door. 
Mr. Gooch eyeing them in silence the while. Smith turned to him. "'Comrade Gooch,' he said, "'do nothing to apprise our friend Sam of these proceedings. I speak in your best interests. Sam is in no mood to make nice distinctions between friend and foe. If you bring him up here, he will probably mistake you for a member of the staff of Cozy Moments and loose off in your direction without waiting for explanations. I think you had better come with us. I will go first, Comrade Windsor, so if the letter breaks, the paper will lose merely a sub-editor, not an editor. He went down on all fours, and in this attitude wormed his way across to the opposite roof, whose occupants, engrossed in the fight in the street, in which the police had now joined, had their backs turned and did not observe him. Mr. Gooch, pallid and obviously ill-attuned to such feats, followed him, and finally Billy Windsor reached the other side. "'Neat,' said Smith complacently. "'Uncommonly neat.' Comrade Gooch reminded me of the untamed chamois of the Alps, leaping from crag to crag. In the street there was now comparative silence. The police, with their clubs, had knocked the last remnant of fight out of the combatants. Shooting had definitely ceased. "'I think,' said Smith, "'that we might now descend. If you have no other engagements, Comrade Windsor, I will take you to the Knickerbocker and buy you a square meal. I would ask for the pleasure of your company also, Comrade Gooch, were it not for the matters of private moment relating to the policy of the paper, must be discussed at the table. Some other day, perhaps. We are infinitely obliged to you for your sympathetic cooperation in this little matter. And now, good-bye. Comrade Windsor, let us debouch. End of chapter 21 of Smith Journalist by P. G. Boardhouse.